Welcome to the Mental Health Monthly Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dwight Norman Jr., a clinical psychologist licensed to practice in the state of California. Once a month, I will provide stimulating conversation surrounding mental health diagnosis, treatment, and resources with the interview structure that will provide solid information from a variety of career professionals from different fields. We will also talk about the psychological aspects within those disciplines. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Hello all, this is your host, Dr. Dwight Norman Jr., Alpha Beta Behavioral Founder and Chief. Um... I want to spend some time talking about together we are family, family therapy. That includes parents, parenting, children, siblings, what else? All of the above. As you know, we've been going through quite a bit in our communities. The global pandemic over the past, what, three months we've been dealing with, um, a lot of tragedy, a lot of um, negative things have happened in, in our lives over the past several months. And now, some people kind of feel like there's a light at the tunnel, um, although we're still going through quite a bit. And managing your mental health is very important during these times. Um, with our communities, states, counties, cities, opening up over the past week, week and a half, things have changed from the change, right? Um, we're trying to get back to normal. Able to go get haircuts? Maybe, maybe not, depending on where you're at. Uh, a lot of restaurants deciding to open up, uh, malls opening up. Um, this change could bring about a lot of intense emotions, specifically anxiety, worry, angst. And I feel like the first step in managing mental health is to educate yourself. Get yourself the information that allows you to proceed accordingly. What does that really mean? I mean, tuning in to podcasts like Mental Health Monthly, where we talk about diagnosis, treatment, and resources would be a good idea. Um, gathering information from the CDC, watching a little bit of news, um, more specifically in your counties and cities, uh, grab that information that tells you exactly what's open and what the rules and regulations will look like. I believe that will be extremely helpful. On top of managing our mental health, and more specifically, I want to get into family therapy, the family relationships that we have, how those interactions have changed over the past three months or so and how they're going to change going forward. I mean, for us parents and myself, I have three school-aged children myself. It's not easy with all, all the other options we had prior to the pandemic. Now being extremely limited and having to um, pull up our bootstraps, so to speak, and figure it out on our own. That could be very daunting and difficult tasks and uh, getting some guidance and managing your own mental health parents is extremely important during these times. So I want to give a few tips on what we should be doing as a family, especially during these uncertain times. Um, having an open communication with each other is extremely important in my opinion. 
I mean, not only parents giving direction and dictating to their children about what they should and should not be doing, but also taking the time to really listen to your children and understand what they're saying and what they're going through during these times also. I mean, being a child is not as easy as you would think, even though we've been through it, we've been there and done that. Um, Each child has their own unique and um, individual experience. So hearing them out is very important. Some of the things you could do at home is to have free-flowing thoughts and reception without judgment or blame. And practicing these types of activities are difficult initially, but the more time you practice, the better you would get at them. And I believe you will find the more you open up about what's happening, the better you feel about what's going on, which creates a tighter connection between all family members involved. In fact, researchers have found that daily interaction help your kids grow in a way that they're social adjusted and improve their overall health of your children. These interactions have to be more than just physical though. Parents have to be invested with their time and truly invested in understanding their kids' point of view when they're interacting with them. I mean, try putting away all the screens for 10 to 15 minutes. No TV, no phones, no tablets, no internet, no um, computers. And just have a legit conversation about what is going on and how each one of you feel and what life is going to look going forward. What are the new rules and regulations of the household? What are you expected to do from a child's perspective? And also... What are the parents expected to do so that your children understand um, the global picture or how we're going to handle or how we're going to maintain staying as safe as possible? Here are some helpful tips um, for you parents as far as interacting with your children. Try to develop a common interest. Myself, I, I like sports. I like psychology. My kids also like sports. So I use that as an avenue to be able to um manage conversations and keep them engaged with me. And remember, complimenting your child often and making praise, the genuine praise, extremely important. Not only uh, is it important to um, uphold the rules by giving reprimands or being disciplined or being a disciplinary, it's also important for you to give praise when your kids are doing well. So when you see these behaviors that you really want to encourage and you want them to have more of, you have to give them praise. Respect your child's concerns. I mean, oftentimes as parents, we kind of say, you know, we kind of been there, done that, or you have to do what I say because I'm your parent. Uh, Regardless that that may be true, but respecting your child in a way that allows them to express what's going on with them and they also feel like you're listening and they feel comfortable sharing with you. Never criticize your child and build a structure and environment that is loving, caring, and promotes happiness and a higher quality of life. Those are a few things that you can do while interacting with your children and and interacting with family members to be able to build this connection that I've been talking about. But I also want to talk to the point of what life's going to look like in the community, specifically our education system. I've been watching a lot of the news outlets lately, say over the past week, we can have once the talk of reopening, possibly children going back to school and things like that have started. Um, and I, I 
come to find that the more creative we are, the easier this is going to be for us. I've seen some schools already open, some kids going back to school this year, and there's been some changes as far as entrance. They're entering one way, one child at a time. They're giving masks, they're giving hand sanitizer and things like that. And also in some classes, they're extremely modified to where each individual will have their own uh, equipment and tools at their desk so they won't have to do much moving around and plexiglass to shield off any unwanted um, any un- unwanted individual in your space. So those are all, all great things. And I was thinking, how do I get this information um, out to the Mental Health Monthly audience in a way that everyone understands and we're getting good quality information? It's good to watch the news and we get, get a lot of good information from our leaders and and the news outlets. However, I wanted to bring um, the perspective of the individuals right there on the ground, in the ground on a regular basis. So I figured, why not talk to a teacher? I mean, they're doing it on a regular basis. Um, They were doing it prior to the epidemic and they're gonna be doing it long after. So I was able to um, find a very well-respected teacher in her community and I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Miss Elizabeth Cruz. Now, Miss Cruz is a elementary school teacher in the Central California area. Hello, everybody. We have uh, Miss Elizabeth Cruz here with us, and I'm so excited to have you with us. Thank you for joining our podcast, uh, Mental Health Monthly. How are you? I'm good, thank you, and thank you for having me. Awesome, amazing. So let's jump right into it. I, I have so many questions and. Uh, eager audience to get a better understanding of the life as a teacher. Tell me how you actually got to that career. Well, I work in education as a teacher. And I would say that I came into this field because I worked really with kids, I always did. And I wanted to pursue something that was gonna let me work with kids while also making a difference and I, or an impact. And I didn't see any better field than going into teaching. Amazing. Did you have a good idea of what you wanted to do, like going into college or like at, at a young age? Or Yes, I've been studying education since I was the senior in high school. Amazing. So you kind of knew what you were going to do prior to even going into college. So it was easier for you to pick your field. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I will be honest, there was a time where I second guessed myself and I was unsure. <laughs> I took a couple years off and yeah. um, I was uh, working as a librarian and working in an obstacle program. And working as a librarian and seeing what school is like actually during school hours and not after school, I saw that I actually really did love it. And so I ended up going back and finishing up what I needed to be a teacher. Oh, that's amazing. So that's that's kind of like a, an internship, a segue into figuring out what you wanted to do. Because you were able yeah. to see firsthand what the teachers were doing. And then you said, hey, that's probably something I would be interested in. So if, if an audience member was interested in becoming a teacher, what would you say the steps were to get to where you're at today? Uh, It's a lot of hoops, I'll tell you that much. But uh, you obviously need a four-year degree. So bachelor's, um, you know, depending on which field you want to go into, if it's high school, um, middle school, elementary school, or even early education, early childhood education, you know, it will determine what kind of four-year degree you would need. So I knew I wanted to go into elementary education, so I had to get my bachelor's degree in liberal studies. Wow. So that okay. was the first step. 
So there's a lot of options for individuals out there. It's not like a direct shot, like say education degree, a four-year education degree. There's multiple layers to this. What what degree what degree did you did you earn? I earned a liberal studies degree. Liberal studies? Okay, and that's a four-year degree? Correct. Awesome. Are you able to do that in two years with like an associate's degree at all? Well, your associates is tied into that. So that actually is the route that I took. So I did two years in under as my associate's degree, also in liberal arts. And then I transferred to a four year and I did two years there and I finished up my bachelor's degree. There's also a, a series of exams that you have to complete. Um, there's the, the CCBEST, the CSET, and the RECA that you all have to pass um, before even entering into a credential program. Okay, so, so, so there's the bachelor's degree, then there's a set of tests you have to take, then there's another set of years in education? Yes, you would have to do a year of credential program, or at least a year. At least a year credential program, wow, okay. So we're talking about four years, then another, what, year or two? Correct. Okay. That's what and then within the credential program, there's four exams you have to pass. Well, it's now changed, so I, it, you know, the thing with this is that it, it changes often. When I was in the credential program, there were four parts that I had to pass. I believe it might be, they might have condensed it, and I think it might be a little less now. I've heard different things that some people only have to do three, but I mean, the idea is still there. There's, you know, there's, you still have to prove that you're capable of being a teacher. Got it. In your credential program. And so, after the four-year degree, you take these tests, then you get into a credentialing program. Within that credentialing program, you have to do like some internship work where you're you're being a teacher and you're being monitored closely by supervision or yeah, two ways that they there's two ways, two pathways that you could take. You could do student teaching where you are working under a teacher and you're working in the classroom, or you can do an internship where you are the only teacher working in the classroom. That is the route that I took. So you're the only teacher. So you kind of just jumped in head first and put your feet yeah. in the fire. <laughs> that have to be pretty nerve wracking for you. It was, it was a rough year, <laughs> but it was, I learned a lot that year. So, I mean, I guess both work. It, it just, it depends on what works best for you. Okay. And so and what you're comfortable with. Yeah, that makes good sense. And, and so, Throwing your feet in the fire like that. Is there some type of like book on how to be a teacher when you're a teacher? You know, there's step-by-step -step process of doing it, but once you're in it, you're in front of your classroom of say 30, 30 little ones, and you have to come up with this information to get them to grasp onto it. How do you know what you're doing at that point? Believe it or not, but there actually is a book about your first year of teaching oh, um, by Harry okay, Wong yeah. and okay. um, you know, but like anything else, it's the same as if you're a first time parent, you could read all the books, but you're still gonna have experiences that aren't mentioned in the book. You know, but that, I think that's what makes you a stronger teacher is you learn from those experiences. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, first time, first time parent. <laughs> it really <laughs> lost it to you until you're actually doing it. That's that's good. And uh, in psychology, it's, 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 it's a long process as well. You know, you do so much schooling after you're done with the school and they expect you to be able to regurgitate that information, pass tests, do a few internships where you're getting supervision, and then 
that's it. Once you're licensed, you kind of got to figure it out on your own, you know? So it's very similar mm-hmm. in that way. So what, um, after you're done with all this work that you're doing, as far as education, you're doing your internship or your, your, your hours and things like that, you pass all your tests, you become a teacher. What is the expected pay? Like what is the range annually that you would, you would get as a teacher of your level? Um, before I answer that question, I also want to remind you that that's still not the end. Even after okay. you've become a teacher, Wait, you mean, and you, you mean have to tell me there's more. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So, Go ahead. Let us know. <laughs> there's a you'll get a preliminary credential, and um, you'll have to spend two years in an, in an induction program, and even then you still have to prove that you are capable of being a teacher and you have two years to what we call clear your credential. Then you are an official teacher. (laughs) Yikes, yikes. So there's supervision, there's supervision, and then there's more supervision. (laughs) So I I guess it's, it's, I mean, once you get to the end, like you have went through the fire, uh, so to speak. I mean, you've been put through the gauntlet to be able to make sure you're qualified to be able to teach our, the youth of America, I guess, right? Yes. Ah, I didn't realize it was that rigorous, though. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, general population, the regular person is not going to understand that piece. I just felt like it was a couple of years and then you take a few tests and then you kind of are on your own. So it's different from state to state. Um, California is known for um, probably having the most most requirements to be a teacher. Um, California and Oregon, I believe, are the ones that are most similar in that. But yeah, I mean, that's the case here. So it does, it's a, it's a lot, but I'm proud of what it took for me to, to get to where I'm at. So awesome. all the accomplishments that, you know, awesome. have to be done. That's a major accomplishment for sure. And um, I guess I have another question regarding the process then before we get to the money question. I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> are eager to hear. Um, once you're done with all that, right? So you, you've done everything that you already explained. Um, you have to do some type of like, in psychology, we have to do what's called like continuing education. So we have to get so many hours where we're going back to classes, we're learning about um, uh, new treatments and, and new ways to diagnose people, new ways to do things in the field in general. Um, mm-hmm. Does that apply to education as well? Absolutely. We have contracted professional development days where we could possibly receive types of trainings. Um, if you have a good administration, they'll send you to go to, you know, large um, conventions where like the gurus in education will tell you their ideas that they have to basically make education better and more Mm. successful. And um, then there's also, you know, our salary schedule where we're put into columns. And if you want to receive higher pay, Mm -hmm. you have to submit units. So that that is another um, way of getting your continued education. Okay. And and is there like a board that tracks all that information or you have to send that information in and uh, you have to be, it's a license, right? That you have to teach? It's a credential. Yeah. So you you have to have a credential in order to teach. Okay. Um, But when it comes to doing the continued education, you show proof that you are going to be receiving units to your um, human resources department. And then when you are finished, you will receive some type of um transcript that you will then have to turn in to show proof and evidence that you completed those units 
Okay, so there's there's a, a, a higher power, say, or um, a, a governing body that monitors everybody's units and making sure everybody's continuing to stay up on things. And, and do yes. you have to renew that every, every year, every two years? Psychology, it's two years, but... For your credential, that's every five years. Every five years, okay. Is there a number that you have to hit as far as the continuing education hours or classes or units? For my school district, the highest you can get is a master's degree and an additional 75 units. Oh, okay. And then that's total or is that every five years we're talking about? No, that's total. So in all the years of whatever, however long you're teaching there, that is the max that you can get to. Oh, okay. So once you get to that max level, are you done then taking your, your continuing education? No, you can obviously always continue your education, but they'll that's the most they'll pay you at, if Got that you. makes sense. Yeah. Right. So there there's no there's no like requirement for after you're maxed out at your pay level, I guess, right? Um, there's no requirement for you to continue to educate yourself. It's up to the person. I know that there is also a stipend for um, having a doctorate. Oh. So, the so I would say that is probably the max. Um, and I it was an I think it's an additional like two thousand dollars for having um, a doctorate yearly. So you'll get an additional two thousand dollars per year for having a doctorate. Wow. That's, that's pretty exciting. And I always get excited while talking about money. That's why I tried to jump to that question right off the bat. And I'm sure that a lot of our audience would like to hear, um, after doing this crazy amount of work, what can they expect to, what kind of lifestyle can they expect to lead? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the pay varies from district to district. So I can only okay. tell you what what's in my district is, um, it ranges anything from 50,000 to 100,000, depending on your years of service. Okay. And so the more years and the more continuing education you have, the more you can ask for. The more that you'll earn. So for example, when I started six years ago, I was making about 42,000. And, you know, obviously I'm in a very different column now than I was when I started. And then on top of that, I'm in, I've, I'm in six years, so I'm making um, about $64,000. Okay, that's a, that's so a that large jump. In each year is going to change. Each year would change, but there's steps, to, there's steps to this process as well. So you can make anywhere upwards to $100,000 a year teaching um, in middle school. Middle school, right? Elementary school. Yes, it, it's okay. the same in, in all. I mean, they, our middle school is part of our district. So their salary schedule looks exactly just like mine. Okay. Yeah, that, that's 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 not bad. So after you do all that hard work, you can look forward to increasing yearly and then getting to a point where um, you could be financially set if you take care of things the right way. That, that's, that's cool. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm curious to ask you, well, I'm eager to know, um, I have three school-aged children myself. So with the economy opening up and closing and, and now getting ready to open back up as far as even the schools and things like that. Um, can you attest to or speak a little bit about how you're doing as a teacher and as far as the community goes, how, how things are going from your end? Yeah, I mean, I could speak for myself when I say that I'm healthy and I hope that's the same for all the other teachers in, you know, in my community. And thankfully, I, I, we're, we are still receiving a paycheck. So, you know, that I think that that eases a lot of stress that could have occurred if 
you know, we had stopped receiving a paycheck, but um, we are doing distance learning, at least in my school district, that is the, the system we are on, meaning we are teaching them from um, our homes and, you know, through Zoom or Google Classroom, whatever, you know, type of system that um, the teachers in my community are using. But I know that at my school site, we are using both Zoom and Google Classroom to continue to educate our students. Okay. And so is the distance distance learning, is that is that going to be the new norm? Do you guys have any direction as of yet? And I know it's still unprecedented uh, times and I really don't know exactly what we're going to do, but have you gotten any direction from your school district as far as possibly going back to physical in-classroom learning? Our district has not informed us on any type of plan just yet. Um, you know, right now we're kind of on a plan of, we know we're going back in August, but in what type of format is still unsure. You know, it's all still being talked uh, about with with our um, governor and, you know, co consistently communicating with our superintendent of public education. Okay. And it's probably a little bit premature, but what are some of the things that um, or thoughts that have been in the, your teaching community about how we're going to keep the children uh, safe? Are there things you're going to be doing differently that you're aware of? And what does that look like? We know that for sure it, it's, it's probably going to look different. You know, there's been some ideas that have been thrown around just within, you know, my, my grade level team of what we think would work. Um, you know, there's things that have been thrown around on the news, um, th things that our superintendent of, of public education has kind of um, suggested, but there isn't anything that's set in stone just yet on how it's going to look. You know, we're they're going based off of whatever the facts are, you know, whatever the scientists are, are saying it needs to be done, but is actually also possible to be done. In, in public education. Right. Definitely a very complicated and um, diluted um, uh, situation that we have here. So many different things to actually think about and process to make sure everybody is is safe. And so, I, I mean, during the times right now, and I, I guess we don't really know. So it's going to definitely be a new normal, right? It's going to be a new normal for everybody across the board. Things are probably not going to look how they looked before, but the key points here is to continue to educate the youth so that they can be successful. I mean, I think that's the overall um, that's the overall message. So during this times when you are have been doing the Zoom meetings and the distance learning, um, have you had the opportunity to connect with the families? Because I know when you're coming in physical, you guys have like open houses or you have um, uh, conferences and things like that. How have you guys managed that? How are you communicating with the families directly? I would. I think it's different from teacher to teacher. You know, I I like to use a communication app called Class Dojo, where I can message parents and they can message me back, and that's where I inform them of everything. We made phone calls when we first, when the school closures first began. You know, we made phone calls, consistent phone calls, and you know. Um, trying to keep up with them and, and leaving yourself available for them to contact you whenever needed. Okay. 
Yeah, and, and that was typical practice for you, it sounds like. And you think like other teachers are gonna be receptive to this new way of reaching out to parents? Most, I think, are going to be receptive. I mean, you know, depending on what's mandated, it's kind of comes down to you don't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a psychological standpoint, I feel like a lot of families, um, of course, gonna have some negative feelings and negative emotions towards the changes and things like that. Uh, any direction that you've been given or you're aware of or your thoughts in general regarding um, the equipment. So I guess you would have to have a computer, you would have to have access to the internet. Um, some families just don't have those capabilities. Is there any direction you can give us as far as how your district is going to manage this? Yes, our school district has actually, I feel, done a very good job of trying to make sure that everybody has access you know, we were thankfully already on a one-on-one to one Chromebook um, system. So each student already has their own Chromebook. They don't leave the classroom. So that that is something that did change. We did a pickup, we did pickup days where the kids could come and pick up their Chromebooks. And I know that our school district worked really hard to make sure that there was hot spots for people. There have been some connectivity issues, but you know, all the parents have to do is let us know. And I know that our school district is working really hard to make sure that everybody can at least um, have access to definitely the technology. And they're working on making sure that everybody can have the internet to access the programs that we use. I also recently found out that um, a local internet service was even offering free internet to those who have school children. Wow, that's awesome. Um... So each child has a, a Chromebook, which is basically a tablet, right? That connects to the internet yeah. and they can use it. So are they picking up every day and then dropping off? And then so someone's collecting them and making sure that they're there? Or how is that working? No, they're keeping them at home. Okay, so they're allowed to check them out and keep them. And then they're using them on a regular basis. That's, that's amazing. And this hotspot comes from um, outside of the generous company that's that's allowing people to use the internet for free, I would imagine. Yeah, our school district has its own internet service. And uh, so that's one way that the hotspots are being used. Okay. Well, good, good, good. That's really good information. I didn't realize that that was even a possibility, but um, I guess that would, that would cover everything. I mean, as far as being able to continue with this distance learning. So it seems like even though we're going to be opening back up here in the fall, um, there's definitely gonna be some changes and there may be a mixture of physical in-person learning and the over the internet or over the webcam distance learning, would you say? Yeah, I would, that's definitely what's being talked about is, you know, a possible blended program. And, you know, I can only tell you why I think that that's what's being suggested. You know, what my personal opinion is on that is, when you, as of right now, when, when the school closure started, we were thankfully already um, pretty much finished teaching all the most viable curriculum. And so everything that we were doing these last couple months of our school closures has just been um, uh, review, you know, just practice mm -hmm. things that they already know. Mm -hmm. But going back in the fall, we have to start brand new with a brand new set of kids. And it would be extremely difficult to teach through um, videos and teach through Zoom and try and scan if our students are getting it or not. So I can't imagine 
um, what it would be like not being able to be in the classroom and teaching them in some, you know, whatever way we can make it work. I, I know I push for us being able to be in the classroom, um, being able to do that, teaching something new, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that that's why they're trying to hopefully at least work way, work a way that we can at least do some type of blended type of style of school. Yeah, yeah, and that would make sense and, and definitely will bring on some brand new challenges for you teachers and the, the school district and the school system as a whole. Um, it's interesting because I went to a school for my doctorate degree um, that was 80-20, uh, so 80% distance learning, 20% physical learning. So I did a lot of traveling back and forth. And this is over, over a decade ago, so it wasn't as well received or accepted during those times. Uh, but I must say, it, extremely, it helped me out extremely because I was so much further than my colleagues in the digital world as far as understanding and knowing what to do and how to use computers. So it was very helpful in, in, in that sense. Fast forward 10, 15 years, most kids are interacting virtually anyway, like on a regular basis. When they're coming home from school, they come and they're on their iPhones, they're on their iPads, they're on you know their social media accounts, and that's basically how they're communicating. In fact, that's how the world communicates with you know through pictures on Instagram, likes and follows and things like that. So I feel like it's going to be a good thing for the kids to be taught that stuff in school so that they know what's right from wrong, especially when you're interacting virtually, right? Uh, what, what are your What are your thoughts on that as far as uh, the upside of having to do some distance learning? Well, I'm, I teach fifth grade. And so, you know, the distance learning was not anything difficult for us because all the programs that we were using and have been using the distance learning are programs that we're already using when we were still, you know, when schools were still open. So it was easy for us to make that transition, but I can't imagine how difficult that would be for anybody that teaches kindergarten through second grade. Right. You know, um, those students are still learning to read. How right. do you teach kids to read from a distance? I mean, you know, that's why I think that the, the, the only way that school can work and still continue is if we can at least be blended. I mean, if it's 80-20, if it's, you know, 50-50, whatever it may be, I just think that that, there, that possibility, I hope it's still going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would make the most sense. And I think um, this, the discussion around this is amazing because it could ease some parents' anxiety for sure with um, one, not knowing, and two, making sure their kids are well prepared for the next phase in their lives. So I think that's very good information. Um, one thing that I did notice, and I wanted to bring up to you to uh, get your opinion, your insight on, I've been glued to the TV for the past like two weeks now since they started talking about reopening so I can have a good understanding, right, of what I can and cannot do and what my children can and cannot do and the possibility of going back to school and things like that. What I've failed to really hear anyone talking about is the teacher's point of view, the teacher's side of all this. I mean, keeping teachers safe, making sure you have the right rules and regulations in place to make sure everybody is healthy, including the educators is extremely important, but I, I feel like it's it's been overlooked, of course, because uh, you know we wanna make sure our kids are good. But how are you feeling about the, that per se and some of the things or the talks that you've had in your community about keeping each other safe? 
Well, first and foremost, I think the safety of the students should be top priority. I think that that should be the most important thing. Um, but as for looking at it from, a, you know, the teachers and the staff standpoint, I, I don't see that it's really talked about in the news. You know, one of the, one of my team members on in my grade level, he is on the list of people who are highly susceptible. And, you know, that's a concern. And he's, in the end, you know, they we obviously have the option as long as we are not, have not been exposed to COVID-19, you know, it's kind of a at your own risk decision. But I think that that is equally as important because I mean, anybody that's there is at risk now, you know, being exposed. So the same, I would say that the same, way the same way that we are highlighting the safety of the students is the same way that they should be highlighting the safety of the staff and uh, the staff staff teachers administration anybody who's there at school during school hours hmm, okay and so what are the i mean i'm sure you put some thought into this so what, what are some of the the key things you're going to be doing differently to make sure or to promote with the well-being of yourself while teaching your students? Well, obviously do whatever is mandated, you know, by both our state and by our um, public education um, system, whatever their expectations are, whatever my school district expectations are, we're gonna, I'm gonna follow whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Um, I know that we are pushing for there to be PPE and, um, if we are able to get those resources, that would be excellent. You know, it would just make, I think it would just make everybody feel a little bit more at ease. Absolutely. And I think that I, I see specifically on the news where um, some some schools have actually went back um, or have been opened up. So some of the kids have went back and some of the things they've done to change is individuals are coming in one at a time. They're uh, being given masks every day. They're, they're, they have an administrator at the front getting a hand sanitizer. They're spraying down the campuses and things like that. And one particular clip that I seen, one of the classrooms had like plexiglass like around some of the desks, like not completely around, but so that the front of the desk, you're not able to um, reach the person right in front of you. So those are, those are also great ideas. One other thing, other thing too that I wanted to mention for the, the very young kids, I seen in one clip, the teacher had um, made them construct their own art project where they had these hats on that had like white brims on them. So um, I guess the idea was that if you had the hat on, physically couldn't get that close to another individual. So I think those things and the use of creativity between the people doing the educating is gonna be key in helping us keep the whole environment safe and continue to promote um, success within the educational system. So. It's 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 yet to be told, and, and I do appreciate you taking the time to kind of help um, some parents ease their anxiety about our new looking educational system. Um, how can how can our audience find you? Are are you available to um, for like questions or things like that? Do you have anything that you would like to tell our honest audience specifically on how to reach you or where they can find resources? Our school counselor has been offering services while we've been in these school closures 
So I mean, I would just get in contact with your with their with any school district and find out if those services are still available to them and their students. Um, you know, they are the ones who can pass on the information of who to get in contact with when it comes to mental health services. For resources, I know that there's a Facebook group I follow that's titled Free Educational Resources for All. And I have been sharing resources on there along with uh, teachers from, from all over, parents. I mean, so many people are in that group and they're just constantly putting things that you know you could use um, at home with your children if you um, are d doing if you're you know if they're doing distance learning and they they want to do more than just what's shared with them by their by the teachers that's that's something that's accessible for them. Well, I think that's really good. That's a really good start, and it gives our audience a, a, an avenue to be able to gather more information. And I would just point out too that there's a lot of agencies in my area too that are doing pro bono work during these times um, to try to help as many people as possible. So that's that's all good. But I really want to thank you for your time that you took out of your very busy day to be able to um, uh, give some education about the educators. We do very much appreciate it. And I believe that we've got some really good information and the audience and parents and audience and even teachers got some uh, things to take back and use in their regular everyday life. But as for Mental Health Monthly, this episode is a wrap. And we're out of here. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mental Health Monthly, where we discuss anything psychology related, more specifically, diagnosis, treatment, and resources. For more information, check us out on the web, alphabetabehavioral.com, and we'll see you on the next one.